Psychology in Seattle. So, Berto, I thought we would record a episode in which we listen to our favorite songs and talk about them and also answer some questions from the listeners. What do you say? That sounds so fun. This is the psychology that was said with a lot of uh, enthusiasm. I'm excited about this one. Uh, this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, a professor, and someone who loves music. Who are you, Umberto? My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I'm a digital librarian. So let's get into this. Well, let's answer a question from a listener. Anonymous patron writes, I love the podcast. You inspired me to attempt to become a psychologist. Mm. So that's pretty amazing. But they failed, apparently. <laughs> I went through a bad breakup recently and noticed you've never done an episode on breakups uh, specifically. Berto, what do you think? What, breakups what? are a big trigger, a big deal. You know, your first big breakup or your 10th or 12th. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm surprised we haven't talked more about it. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it yeah. in terms of abandonment and personality and attachment, but... I guess I've never titled an episode Breakup. I mean, right. uh, loss and grief is a major thing. It can be extremely devastating to be broken up with, particularly if you suffer from insecure attachment. What, you actually benefit if you're avoidant attachment because you've learned to avoid relationships from the beginning. Mm. And so when people break up with you, you very quickly can rely on your attachment style to just say, well, I don't need other people. I'm fine. I see. But the grief can last for years, and people will say, how do I let go of these feelings? How do I move on? And what I say is, why are you trying to do something that's impossible? Mm. It's like saying, I don't want to die. How do I avoid dying? <laughs> yeah. Or I don't want to pay taxes. How do I avoid taxes? Become present. <laughs> you, you can't. You can't avoid it. Uh, you know, it's something that you, you need to do with life when you are broken up with, when your pet dies, when your loved ones die, when you move to another place, when you get fired. These are losses that are sad, and your brain is has evolved mm -hmm. to attach to human beings in particular. And like a... 18-month-old baby being separated from their parents for four hours, that will cause an emotional, instinctual reaction, and that doesn't go away. I mean, at what right. point? It's like, oh, I'm now 22 years old. I have now evolved beyond my human needs of attachment for other people. I can shut down those parts of my brain. It's not possible we can act like it, but as a culture, we have this huge expectation that we can just move on. And honestly, I think that because of this cultural misunderstanding, a lot of friends and family will look at people who are grieving. So say mm -hmm. you get dumped. Even, say you go on a two-year relationship, and you're in your 20s or 30s, and your family has not really gotten to know the partner that well. Right. You know, it's like... Well, yeah, my 28-year-old daughter dated a guy, you know, they've, I think they've been dating for about a year, year or two or something. They're not that attached to it. 
Well, say a year later after the breakup, you're still busted up about it and you're still sad and you're still crying and you still want to talk about it. A lot of people will be like, I don't even remember that person. Right. Uh, But the thing is, is just because you weren't there doesn't mean that you could become extremely attached to people just after a couple of weeks. Yeah. And so... So when we're grieving, not only is it horrible, but we're also swimming upstream because our society doesn't support it. Our our society doesn't support any emotions. It doesn't really support any grief. But most people would uh, tend to be sympathetic to someone who, say, their spouse died or their child died, and a year later they're still thinking about it. Yeah. But it's it's rough. Um, Also, there's not a lot of good guidance on how to break up. We have this notion in our society that it's it's like, well, once you break up, it's just like you're done and you, quote unquote, move on. And it's yeah. just, everyone wants a clean break. You uh, say, you know, you don't have kids. You have that conversation uh, in the car, you know, and you're just like, you know what? I've been thinking about it a long time and uh, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I, I feel like we need to end the relationship. There's some crying. There's a little bit of talking. Maybe a little bit of maybe we can be friends. Maybe a little bit of hugs. Maybe a little bit of anger from the person being dumped. And you know, after two and a half minutes, uh, the uh, the dumpy gets out of the car. Say, well, thank you, anyways. Everything moves on. It was it was great while it lasted. Yeah. Bye. Oh, do you have my number? Oh, you don't need it. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Hit me on <laughs> hit me on Insta. Yeah. And it's like, um, no. That's not – that never happens, one. And if it did, you barely knew each other. Yeah. Uh, and, and so what normally happens is there are several conversations that are necessary. There are several questions from the dumpy because the, the thing is for the dumper, for the person that is breaking up, they will have made the resolution months if not years prior to right. that moment. And they just didn't know how to or when go about it. Right. And they also, um, in uh, further back in the past, had started contemplating breaking up. I work with a lot of people who are in the in these shoes and and have over the years on both sides of the equation. And often, especially in a marriage that's ten, twenty years long, it'll take ten, twenty years, or <laughs> five to ten years t- from the moment that someone says, "I'm pretty sure I want to end this relationship." To the point where they actually pull the plug, right? And oh, that's crazy! <laughs> uh, th- because there's so many things to consider, and there's so many ups and downs, and well, maybe it's worth trying another time. And you feel good one month, and you feel bad another month. Anyway, so the person who has been thinking about it, by the time they lay it on the line and reveal it, typically they've adjusted. They've done the the grieving process. Right. They've gone through all the phases that they need to go through with grief and or many of them. And the final one for them is is telling the other person, which is understandable. Now, but the the problem is is the person doing the dumping thinks all I got to do is say something and then I can cut cut it clean and then move it's on over, yeah. and move on with my life. Well, They'll understand. <laughs> the person being dumped, they now start that process from day one, from the point that you started the process five years prior, or you know, two years prior, or eight months prior. Yeah. So now, if you're a moral human being, it is now 
a moral imperative for you to do what you can to help that person through those through that time. Now right. you're not the only support person. You shouldn't be. You should be one. But a lot of times what will happen is, you know, a month later the person who got dumped will reach out to the person who who dumped them and have some kind of communication like, so I don't get it. Why why then or whatever. Yeah. They have some sort of question. They have more questions. And the person who dumped is like Okay, boundaries. My therapist tells me I need to have boundaries. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to answer that. Um, We've been over this. Yeah, I why already said. <laughs> yeah, like, why aren't you moving on with your life? And this is exactly why. <laughs> yeah. Now, if the person who got dumped is being abusive or hostile or aggressive or violent or something, obviously that's crossing a line. But 99% of the time, that's not the case. The case is that the person being dumped is just like, in a lot of emotional strife, and they have this huge emotional task of uh, before them of realizing, wait, so this person wanted to dump me for two years? Because often they'll say that. They'll right. be like... Honestly, I've been thinking about this for years. Yeah, and, and I... <laughs> probably, or I thought about doing this a long time ago, or what's then for the other person? It's like, wait, 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 what? So, you mean that time when we were like in Cabo? Yeah, you were already what? Right. So, now if, if you really want to help the person being dumped, you want to say things like, if they're true, when we were in Cabo, I was probably like seven, I, I still thought we might actually work out, but I wasn't quite sure. Right. And and I loved you the entire time. Yeah. And I wasn't being fake, but I was thinking maybe this isn't going to work out. But I was just really confused. See, you you need to fill in those details. Yeah. Because if you don't, then uh, you're one leaving someone out on the lurch just in a bad way. But also you're contributing to the person being dumped, them developing a narrative that you really never loved them at all. Right. And that is a very destructive narrative that no one should have having being dumped, having being broken up with. It's also a bizarre redefining of words and life in general. Like, okay, well then what did you mean by anything, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I guess every word and thing that we've been using for the last 10 years is then totally meaningless. <laughs> yeah, and that's very upsetting and a lot of people walk away from relationships having been dumped with that narrative yeah. because that's basically what's being told to them or that's the way it seems. Right. And so more contact and more communication ha- has to occur. This requires a lot of maturity and a lot of vulnerability. The person who did the dumping is extremely vulnerable to being attacked, to being criticized. There's viable anger and and disappointment yeah. in the other person. It takes a very mature person to withstand that. But can't both sides rely on the training they received both in junior high, then in high school, and then the really deep psychological and emotional training they received in college? Yeah, we've talked about this before. You know, kids get how many years of math that they'll never use, you know? I mean, <laughs> everything after algebra and maybe geometry maybe geometry yeah is useless to the average to the average person 
I mean, just useless. Yeah. As a person who loves math, yeah. uh, I can tell you that algebra, sure, at times. Yeah. Uh, but with Google now, it's like you could just say, how do I figure this out? You know, yeah. How do I figure out a APR or something? Yeah. So it's not like you even necessarily need algebra anymore. But it, it, so I'm not saying completely get rid of the math curriculum, but how about we just take like 3% of the math allocation and say, let's talk about things like this. Yeah. Now, what this requires are teachers that know yeah. how to say this. No one knows this anyways. <laughs> I don't know a single teacher who would be able to articulate what I'm saying. Right. Because this idea isn't even in our culture. No. This notion of like that when you break up with someone, you have a, res- you have a moral responsibility to that person yeah. is absurd to people. I don't have a res- right. I broke up with them. It's over. I don't have a res- I don't have a responsibility to them. Yes, you do. You do have right. a responsibility to them because you engage in a relationship with them with an understanding. You didn't start the relationship saying, uh, I'm going to break up with you very suddenly at some point and I'm never going to talk to you again. Yeah. I'm not going to care about your feelings. I'm just going to move on with my life. So, buyer beware. You didn't say right. that. What you said was I love you. You might even said, I'll always love you. Yeah. You might even said, I'm, I'm never going to leave you. Right. At least, you know, that's the impression that you maybe you're giving across. And even in ca- more casual relationships, at the very least, you're giving the idea that you care about the other human being. And then suddenly, because you decide you want the relationship, the romantic relationship and sexual relationship to end, suddenly, like, you have no responsibilities to that person anymore. I find right. it to be immoral. You know, the other thing that's so difficult is uh, that there's a, I think there's a, maybe it's, we have this natural tendency as, as humans, as animals, that if we're walking by and you grab a piece of fruit off of the tree and I see that, and then you take a bite and I see that, and then you make a grimace and you go, yuck, I'm not likely to try that fruit because I use my input. It's like, oh, my input's my, my person that's like a human like me just made a nasty face when they tried that fruit. I'm not going to try that thing. Knowing you, you'd eat it anyway. I probably would, but, but normal people. And then so you're at work and someone comes and like, oh, my girlfriend or my boyfriend just broke up with me last night. And I think instinctually in our heads, some part of us goes, oh, what's wrong with you? You know, and I think that actually comes out in, in maybe implicit ways where people then start feeling like there's something wrong with them because they got broken up with, you know, because people treat them a little bit worse. Totally. <laughs> it, it, it's a thing that I've experienced personally where, you know, you're going out on a date or something and they're just like, yep, everyone always breaks up with me. And then you're like, ooh, uh, well, look at the time. <laughs> So let's listen to uh, a song. Now, uh, patron Beth from Olympia asked us to talk about our favorite music by women, women performers. Mm-hmm. So I thought I'd, I'd play one from your list here. Yay. We have, uh, let's see, the first one. Uh. Wonder 
Yeah, it's her voice is so great, and yeah. I respect her because she's also a pretty good drummer, right? Like she's the drummer in, yeah. in the Carpenters, yeah. But yeah, what a what a beautiful voice, just crystal clear and distinct to her. I remember growing oh, up man. in the seventies, and you had Barbara fans and Carpenters fans because mm. Barbara has a very different right. thing. So, what makes you love this song so much? So, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all. Apparently, ever since I was in a crib as a little teeny baby, my mom was playing the Carpenters, and I would start singing, even though I didn't know how to talk. I'd be like, ah, nah, nah, you know, like making little sounds, singing along with the Carpenters. Um, so I loved them, right? And it was they were also one of my mom's favorites, apparently. And what happened was when my mom left, she sent me a tape, and it had three songs on it. And the first song was this, Top of the World. Wow. And the second song was Sing, also by the Carpenters. The third song was Rocky Mountain High by, by uh, Denver. And, uh, and they actually had a fourth bonus track on the other side, which was the, uh, the it, here's a story of a lovely lady, you know, the Brady Bunch theme song. Uh, and those were, and so I listened to that tape non Stop because it was associated with your mom, with my mom, who had, and, who exactly. had abandoned you. Exactly, and oh, and, she, and I think she had um, recorded a little bit of her voice saying, "No, I sent you these songs because I know how much you love them." So, like this tape was super special to me. I listened to it over and over and over, and this song in particular was my favorite. Yeah, it's a great song. Uh, so I thought we would alternate back and forth between me and you. So let's get to one of mine here. So this is uh, The Cardigans, which is one of my favorite bands that I mentioned in the other episode. Uh, and so here we go with this. So I love this song so I see, much. I see now why you say they're so beatly. Yeah. I mean, so everyone in the band is so great. The drummer, mm -hmm. the bassist, the guitarist, the, the singer. They're all amazing musicians, one. And the songs are perfectly crafted, I think, and perfectly recorded, too. It, mm. They're a band, but yeah. they don't really sound like a garage band, you right. know? But they, they're a garage band. They're a four-piece band that, wow. or a five-piece. Maybe they have a keyboardist. They... Play music that can absolutely be played live. I mean, if you listen to the song, it's like this is a song that could absolutely be. In fact, it might even be performed live when they're recording it. Yeah, 
And that's uh, I respect that a lot. Like right. uh, you know, the ninety nine point nine percent of the music that's on the radio today cannot be produced live. Right. Hip hop in particular cannot be produced. You can live. play the backing track, <laughs> which is yeah, which is yeah. now. In fact, uh, I, whenever I see hip hop artists show up on stage with a band, yeah, I always like re- the first thing I need to establish is are those players actually playing? Mm-hmm. They not. I can tell they're not playing all the music. But are they playing some of the music? Yeah. And often it's I'm like, nope, they're not playing any of that. They're lip syncing. Yeah. I mean, the chance that they're gonna leave the drum track up to a human being is like not likely. Uh, the chance that they're gonna leave a keyboard part that's really kind of particular uh, mm-hmm. is not likely. Uh, I even think often some of the scratching is like is lip sync sometimes. Mm. Um, so anyway, uh, anyway. But Holy Love, uh, Cardigans, I, could, I, I had a really hard time choosing a Cardigan song because there's just so many. People often know that really annoying song, which is, you know, love me, love oh, me. Oh, right, say. right. That's, that's the main song I ever knew. So, which I was surprised when many years ago you said, yeah, Cardigan is one of my favorite band of all time. I'm like, wait, love me, love me? <laughs> that's their worst song. It's like a joke song. Uh, you know what I mean? It's, it, it, if you funny. listen to it, because that, that song doesn't sound jokey at all. Right, no. So the thing about this song that fits so in well in my kind of thing is that it it that's the sort of song I would write. Like yeah. I've written songs like this where right. it's sad but but yeah. rocky but big. Yeah, I could see that. Yep. And it has a descending chord structure that isn't uh, it isn't major. Mm-hmm. You know, it has like some minor chords in there and some odd notes that make it sound a little interesting as time goes on, like the Beatles right. would often do. And it also has this melody that is just, it just is so sad to me. I, I just want to listen to it again. <laughs> so let's get to it. So it's it, the lyrics are even similar to the lyrics I would write in that yeah. it's it's sad but very worshiping mm-hmm. and you know the of all the angels you're the most divine yeah it's a it's a beautiful line but it's sung in this extremely sad mode you yeah. know of all the angels you're the most divine and the chords are and the the the, the artistry of the guitarist underneath that and the bassist it's just great i can uh, tell that the band is just having a good time on every track right. anyway well great I, I i need to listen to them I, I know you've made your case before but i haven't actually listened I, I really like this track you just played so let's listen to another one of your female singer songs here i'm gonna fast forward a little bit So what do you like about this song? I mean, I, I've heard this. I, I grew up with this song. It was one of the first pop songs in the 80s, I think. It's probably like early 80s. It's really early 80s. Uh, when this thing came on the radio, man, I just didn't know what to make out of it at first. I was like, that voice is so mesmerizing. Well, you would have been so young. I was. And yet I was like, 
it was it was instantly appealing to me for some reason. It was actually quite. It was in the same vein as Blondie, you know. Cause yeah, Blondie does some rapping and yes, and, and it has a very talky right way. It's almost artsy, punky in a sense, right? You know. And actually, I think it, it almost helped that I was so little because I certainly didn't understand at all what the song is about. You know, but but I kept like the lyrics she was saying. I'm like, that's so interesting. And then the way she was singing, and it's catchy. You know, yeah. So I remember at school, me and a couple of friends would be like, "She's Betty Davis." <laughs> you know, we would just be saying right. that. To this day, I don't know who Betty Davis is. <laughs> yeah, was she an actress from the, yeah, like, the yeah. 30s or something? Yeah, she had Betty Davis eyes. <laughs> okay, when I was a kid, one I had never heard that phrase. Mm-hmm. Like, um, she had somebody's eyes. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, that phrase. I'd never heard, so the convention, I was like, I don't even, this is nonsensical to right. me. There was also another song about eyes at the exact era, at the oh. same time. I'm going to turn my green eyes blue or something. Oh. Or I'm going to turn my brown eyes, my blue eyes brown. No, my brown I eyes don't remember. blue. There's some song <laughs> that kind of is a, another woman singer, but anyway. Yeah, so, but why this song? There's so many songs that it you was, can choose. Was, so this is your top, you know, five or ten Songs that oh, yeah. are performed so, by women. So, right. So when I think of this compared to like uh, almost all the pop songs in the there, there were tons of female pop songs in the eighties. Uh, but but this one, I, when I think of this song, I remember I have memories of that time and place and of of being so fascinated by it. Whereas a lot of the other ones, it was like okay, that's a popular song this week and it's certainly catchy, but not memorable to me. This one, I mean, it's just so unique. You just don't hear songs like this. You know, it's a very unique sounding song. Do you and throw mysterious. this track on every now and then? When yeah, you... it's in my play. It's in my '80s playlist. Okay. Yeah. So let's go. Let's listen to a little bit more. Also, I love that. Dun, 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 dun. So '80s. You. And like that kind of. The voice that just doesn't quite hit the notes, you know, it's like so scratchy. Oh, love it. So this is mine. I similar time, early eighties. Yeah. Uh, I w- loved the song, and we have to. We're not going to listen to the whole thing, but the ending is key. So this is amazing. I mean, people have heard this song before, but the, it's the, I love this song for two reasons. One, it is, it's ad-libbed in its vocal performance. Mm. Like the way you write music, you have a certain melody line. Right. And I can tell that she starts with that at the beginning of the song, but she quickly breaks free from that like in the middle of the song, and then she right. never really returns. But she, but she kind of sticks to that, to that zone. But... Uh, Stevie Nicks has such a distinctive voice. Oh, yeah. One of the best things my little brother ever said to me was, you know, he, he was like, so do you like do you like Stevie Nicks? And I was like, oh, my God, I love her. And he's like, he's like, oh, okay, good, because I knew you had good taste. And, <laughs> and now I know, now I really know you have good taste. He, he, he said something like, as a litmus test, I can tell if people have good musical taste by, <laughs> by asking them if they like Stevie Nicks. <laughs> Because there's some people who hate Stevie Nicks. Really? Yeah, they hate her voice. Oh, that's crazy. And because she does have a very distinctive voice. Sure. Um, interesting that both uh, 
Stevie Nicks and Kim Carnes, who did Betty Davis Eyes, are both they don't look like they would have interesting voices. Right. They look like cheerleaders. Yeah. You know? And their voices are lower. You know, they're not high female voices. Yeah. Actually, the Carpenter's girl and the Cardig- the Cardigan's right. girl is she looks like she could be a supermodel. You know, right. so uh, it's interesting that you know it's like you never know what kind of singing voice yeah. someone's going to have. But um, this reminds me of when I was a kid. There was a lot of Fleetwood Mac growing up in my household and throughout college, and really just throughout my life. Um, when me and my wife are uh, playing pool at a bar, I'll put this on the jukebox and, totally. and we'll just, cause there's a way that you can dance this song, you know, cause it's very floppy and uh-huh. you just t- think about long <laughs> shawls and lacy things and dancing in front of a mirror, like in the video. But the thing that really, really gets me is the ending of this song has this guitar part by, um, what's his face? Lindsay. Yeah. Buckingham. Buckingham. And he has a, also a very distinctive guitar playing. He, he has a he plays with these small electric guitars that I think are custom made, and he, he uses hand picking, almost in a banjo style, which is very unusual for rock playing. And it's chaotic. You can tell he's on the edge of his ability, and he kind of fucks it up at times. But the song is so sad, and it kicks into this super happy part at the end. And I've done this like a dozen times in the mm. songs that I've written, maybe more. It's a similar thing at the end of Hey Jude. Nah, right. nah, nah. There's this, I love having a part at the end of a song that you even don't stop believing. Like right. when they actually start singing Don't Stop Believing, they don't stop with that part. That's right. the ending. I love having an ending part. So let's get to that. I mean, it just gives me chills. That is sick. It, it's it, <laughs> it's it's sad still, but happy. It's, yeah, you know, it, it's celebrate to me. I always think of it as a. I, it's stupid, but like a a national anthem feeling that you get, where it's like stand up and rejoice in wonderful things, <laughs> or some. There's something about that that just sure. an, an ending to a song where. It has that vibe, and you know, same with nah, nah, nah. You know, yeah. it's a, it's, it's like a, we're, it's like let's all get together, the group of us, as we listen to this, and celebrate and just scream at the top of our lungs. There's just something about the end of Gypsy that makes me feel that way. Yeah, I can hear it. You know, the the playing at the beginning of uh, is it looking out for love? That, you know, da 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 da. Yeah, where he's using that kind of style. Yeah. Right, and it, but it's uh, but it's dark sounding, you know. Yeah, this is like a very bright, happy version of that. <laughs> right. Yeah. So let's take a break, and we get back. Let's answer more questions. What do you say, bro? Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break, Umberto. Uh, if Lindsey Buckingham was to play a guitar solo <laughs> to ask people oh, to become God. a patron, what would it sound like? <laughs> Donate. Oh, is he supposed to sing too? Uh, I don't know. Donate to a cause. Um, actually, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you would do. What about a... Stevie, Stevie Nicks? 
Oh, Stevie Nicks would be like, uh, I want you to know that us need your help to make the cause go further. What about Kim Carnes? Um, we are, we are in need late at night, so you gotta donate tonight. <laughs> 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 oh god these are so terrible <laughs> so yeah become a patron of the podcast uh, that's the way we know you like this thing uh, that's that's great um, also we are now offering this is depending on when this gets published uh, it's probably going to publish in a couple of weeks from when we record this but we are announcing our n- our new scholarship Woo! so this is our second scholarship it's going to be $2,500 to a current student in mental health. Graduate students are preferred. If you want to apply, do so by June 30th by going to our website. So this time, I'm just going to have everyone fill out this one form mm-hmm. on the website to kind of keep everything clean. Because before, I just had people send essays and references, and it was it was kind of a jumble of mm-hmm. different documents. And so... Uh, so go to the website, psychologyseattle.com, and apply for the $2,500 scholarship. Also, to you listeners out there who know people who are in need, let them know, because they don't have to be a listener or a patron. In fact, the person who last won, I don't think she listens to the podcast. So we're really looking We're looking for anyone. So uh, uh, go to, again, June thirtieth, 2019. Uh, apply by then. The last time we did a scholarship, which was a few months ago, we had about, I would think, 25 applicants. I'm not sure. So you have a pretty good chance of winning. It's not like thousands of people. Right. So if, if you think you might be able to get this, and especially if you applied already, uh, feel free to apply again. But you're going to have to apply all over again by yeah. going to the website. Uh, you could probably use your essay and kind of copy and paste into the form. Uh, but do that now. There were some very moving essays. It was very tough to pick. Yeah. All right. So patron Christine asks about how there are girlfriends for hire in Japan to help shut in men. You know how they have a a problem in Japan with men who shut themselves in and just play video games all Mm day. Uh, And patron, patron Christine wants to know, if we did this in the United States, could it help with incels or MGTOW people? What do you think, right. Berto? Yeah, this is a tough one. So on the one hand, I've often felt that things like uh, prostitution should be legalized uh, because when you when you have things like that be illegal, it just creates a black market trade for it. It's not regulated. It leads to more diseases, more violence, etc., uh, and more abuse of the participants. Um, at, at the same time, I also know that even if it is uh, regulated, people are still going to be abused in, one, in some ways. For example, the kind of person that might gravitate to that job profession may still be someone who has m- maybe some, some damage that is being taken advantage of, even if it is a legal profession. Um, so uh, I, I wonder, okay, well, what if we treated this a little bit less like prostitution and more about like the need for companionship or in one extreme, the need for a nurse, right? Like if you, if you think of, well, there are people that need nurses, right? Or a massage therapist. Or a massage therapist and things like that. So when I think of it that way, I start thinking, okay, 
But the the problem with the girlfriend bit is, I guess if it is, if it is a uh, if if it is the kind of person that it's easy for them to separate their own emotions, then I guess that's fine. I just find it hard to imagine. Uh, and maybe oh, you know what it is? It's like when an ER person says, uh, an emergency room person says, it's really hard to deal with all the trauma all the time because it, it starts weighing on you. Yeah. And some people are really able to deal with it, and some people have a harder time dealing with it. But I do think it could it could help because you have a lot of a lot of men that don't know how to engage are not able to do so. Uh, they don't have any legal options available to them for female companionship. Um, and so that, that might lead to worse problems. Yeah, I'm going to extend this beyond the gender and say that uh, the question might be more broader asked in that is it might it be helpful for the United States culture to adopt this practice that's not illegal. There's nothing. There's right. nothing illegal about hiring a friend to right. hang out with you, uh, <laughs> and because because that's what they're talking about. I mean, I hadn't thought about the sex part of it. I I, I interpreted this as not as a non sexual hiring of a, of a relationship, but who oh. knows? I, I don't. I guess I don't know. Hmm. Uh, so the way that the article looked, it looked like the women just hung out oh. and in their homes and played games with them and said nice thing to to them and maybe made them food or something. And, hmm. and so, but I don't know. Makes me question the extent of it, but okay. Question what? Like the, it seems very sanitized, that version of it. <laughs> oh, well, I actually wouldn't put it past Japan. I mean, Japan is a weird place and yeah. they're a totally different culture when it comes to this sort of thing. Okay. They have families for hire. Uh-huh. You can hire a whole family. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. To hang out with you. Wow. That's not sexual. Right. So what would be the difference between that and having a non-sexual girlfriend hang out with you in your house? Uh, sure. I, I just think that, uh, I mean, I, I would imagine that even if the guy is aware of the rules and all these things, that in his mind, he's going to be like, oh, but I still do want to have sex with this person. Yeah, but maybe there's some kind of agreement. I don't know. Yeah. But Japan has this has this uh, culture. Now, the family being hired thing is, I don't think, very common. But they have these um, maid cafes all over wow. in, in Japan where – and I actually went to a, a few of them. Some of them, you don't even know they're maid cafes until you go in. It just looks like a cafe. Maid cafes? They call them maid cafes because young women are the servers, mm-hmm. and they dress up like – like anime maids like french maids yeah but but it's not very sexual okay like the women in japan when they dress sexually uh, they're very modest the women in japan Mm. like like women who dress at least back when i went which was a while ago but i think it's still similar that they dress in a way like in the united states if you think about like a woman who's dressed in a very sexual Mm -hmm way that where she's trying to really accentuate her sexuality. Right. You're thinking tight clothes, you're thinking cle- Lots of cleavage. Cleavage, you're right. thinking belly button, you're thinking shorts that go up too high, you know. Right. In Japan, it is the opposite of that. Like when women are in a role where they might be trying to be appealing, they might have clothes that go all the way up to their neck. Oh. And you and you don't see any distinction of 
of breasts. Oh. Like you don't see it's very uh, they're very dressed pillowy clothes. The only skin you see is the skin between their stocking and their skirt. Oh, interesting. So you you'll see like their lower thigh, you know, oh. if that, you know, cuz they'll wear stockings. Yeah. So to me it's it's less of a like a cleavage culture and more of like a cutesy culture. Hmm. Interesting. Where where girls are sexual or appealing or something because they're cute, you mm. know, in a in a in a girl way. I see. And if you've ever seen Japanese porn, it's very much this way. Right. Like the the girls in Japanese porn are always like, "Oh, I don't want to." And right. you know, they're never like powerful. They're very rarely like powerful women. Mm-hmm. Um and if they are, they're usually having sex with another woman who's very, "Oh, I don't want to," mm. you know. And so that's just the way that Japan culture right. thinks about sexuality. It's very different than ours. So you go to a maid cafe, and it's a place where you can get tea and like a Coke or something, and guys will go there. It's sort of like a, this weird version of like Hooters. Mm-hmm. And you go in, and they're often like really run down cafes. Oh, no. <laughs> like the, the ones that we went to were, I mean, in Tokyo, where everything's glitzy and glamorous. Yeah. We'd go into these maid cafes, and it looked like an office building. Oh, <laughs> like Dun- it looked like Dunder Mifflin. Okay, <laughs> with like those tiles on the ceiling sure. and like really bad fluorescent lighting, and 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 they just have tables just kind of strewn about, and you sit down, and then these maids come by, and <laughs> and the other thing when you walk in, they call you master, which is actually not that strange in J- Japanese like culture. Sensei. No, that's teacher. Master, oh. I don't know the word for master, okay. but it's like the it's the word a maid would use when their master came home. Oh, okay. Like a servant would say to okay. to their to when the the master of the home comes home, you know, oh, hello master okay. and bowing. And then you sit and you could just be like a pimply Japanese 35-year-old introvert, you know, and you walk yeah. in, master and you know, you sit down. And then uh, they give you a Coke and they talk to you. And they're like, um, how are you? And you're, and you're like, oh, I don't know. I'm okay. Oh, that's so funny. You're so funny. Like, I see. It's very – it's like a <laughs> – I guess like a strip club in that way okay. where it's – you know, it's lots of compliments and giggling. And right. You're so – and sometimes in the back room they will have foot massages, oh. which, are, which are actually foot massages. It's okay. not like – I mean at least as far as I – I actually yeah. had a foot massage when I was in Japan at, by one of these uh, maids. And it was the most painful thing I've ever been. Oh, they get in there, huh? It was so painful. Ow. <laughs> at a certain point, she, she says to me in this extremely broken English – I mean it was so – you know, everyone's like, oh, people in Japan, they're taught how to speak English from day one. Mm. And in my experience, like very few Japanese people could mm-hmm. actually converse with me. They uh-huh. might be able to write it down, but they could not have a conversation. So she, she in her very broken English, we're, we're trying to communicate with, because I don't speak any Japanese. And she says, she asked me something like, does it hurt? And I'm trying to be manly. So I'm like, I'm like, uh, no, it's, it's fine. <laughs> and, and she's doing it for another, because it was like a 45 minute foot rub too. Like she got, oh. she got in there, oh, ouch. <laughs> and then, and then she says to me, um, she says about like half an hour in, she asks, "Are you sure it's not too painful?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, it's there's a lot of pressure in there." <laughs> and she says, "That's interesting because in her broken English, men by this point are usually screaming out in pain." Ah. 
<laughs> so you're like, oh, okay, fine, yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, okay. I'm one of those men. I'm just <laughs> I just too, thought I was supposed to not. <laughs> I'm just too insecure to admit it. Um, but anyway, Hilarious. so in Japan, they have this culture, and to, to have a, a girlfriend for hire is, is, is so much more uh, normalized. Interesting. Now, is it politically and, uh, you know, is it okay? Is it fair? to do this to girls. Right. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to live in that culture to evaluate that. I really just don't have any idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how the maids feel about their jobs. I mean, these maids get hired like a barista gets hired. Right. You know? It's not like they're, there's a pimp or something as far as I know. And so um, – mm. And the and the maid cafes are totally just they're like Starbucks they're right. just norm they're just sitting and they open it's not a weird thing no it's yeah. just totally normal in fact the maids will be walking around outside in their maid outfits like handing out right. flyers and stuff and um so I don't know it's it's hard to know but the question that patron Christine asks is you know would this sort of thing help with incels in the United States and what I would say is yes now the broader uh, intervention for people who are uh, you know, who are incels. Now, incels, they're not all one thing, but, uh, and if you don't know what incels are, they're a group of people that are primarily a community on the internet that it's short for involuntary celibate in that they want to have sex with, it's usually always men. In fact, I don't, I don't I've never met a woman incel. I'm sure they exist. But anyway, it's usually men who are young and they want to have sex, mm-hmm. but they and they've tried to have sex and no one will have sex with them. Right. And no one knows why. I mean, it could be a lot of different reasons for a lot of different people. Right. And then they go to the internet and they're upset, they're angry and they're hurt and they find this group of people that have this cult propaganda around them that has notions of feminism has ruined the reason why you're being rejected by these women is because of feminism. Mm. And the reason why you're being rejected by these women is because our society is turning into a female is, is already a female dominated society. Mm. And the female dominated society is teaching everyone that men are actually in charge when in fact women are totally in charge and women get together in this conspiratorial conspiratorial way to uh, sort of control men through their, uh, sexual offerings, uh-huh. and and there's this whole notion of like, uh, you know, women can pick and choose exactly who they want to have sex with, and gain this tremendous amount of power around this. And as that propaganda gets fed into these young minds that don't ever leave their house or talk to anyone with an opposing point of view. They believe it, and then it feeds into itself because that right. isolates them, and then it shoves them in this into this thing, and so it's like, so the so the intervention is we got to get these people to have social contact with mm-hmm. other people other than incels, yeah, right, <laughs> like anybody, right, whether that's a girlfriend or or anybody. I mean, I don't know if a, a hired girlfriend would necessarily help because it's like it's not a real relationship, sure, but. But say a woman who is a social worker or – I don't know. I've always thought that a lot of these killings, these mass killings happen because these uh, men who are – you know, it's often men. They are isolated. They have that thwarted belongingness that I talked about that leads to suicidal thoughts and they have this revenge 
notion that naturally mm. crops up. And then there's no one around to help them to feel like they're loved, to help them feel like someone cares, to help right. them feel like there's something to look forward to. I mean, imagine if every day you wake up and you play Fortnite from the day, from the minute you wake, you wake up to the minute you go to bed. Right. And you don't have a job and you live in your parents' basement and your parents are, you know, yelling at you and you, you just you just feel like a piece of shit. And the internet's telling you that it's the world's fault. And but then and you you feel like there's no options because when you try to go out into the world, like you're so terrified that it comes out all wrong and everyone shuns you or just yeah. sort of you know, slowly just away from you. Self fulfilling. Yeah. So imagine if someone just came by, whether it was a man or a woman or whomever and just played Fortnite with you, and and they were trained to know how to talk with you, yeah. and to not pressure you, and to just and just hang out, you know, and it and be a friend and be someone that you can talk to every, every couple of days. Right. Like, I have to believe that's got to help. Yeah, I, I think the other part of it is maybe I'm wrong about this, but like getting outside. <laughs> You know, like well, not only playing playing on the computer, but actually getting outside. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> but how do you do that? Well, with the friend that you hired. <laughs> right. Like, uh, that's what everyone says. That's what everyone hopes. Get out. Stop. Well, I, I mean, maybe that's why you do need a hired girlfriend that will take you. It'd be like, yeah. I totally want to hang out with you. Can we go to the park? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's listen to another song here. So uh, this is this is human behavior, or no? This is this is a Fleetwood Mac. So we both picked a Fleetwood Mac song that yes. was that was overlap in our situation. Landslide. To my love, took it down. Climbed a mountain and I turned around And I saw my reflection in snow-covered hills Till the landslide brought me down Yeah, beautiful song. Oh, Obviously, so I would think that. Did you listen to the song prior to the Smashing Pumpkins covering it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, 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 um, I got into Fleetwood Mac in college because my drummer in college, this guy named Peter... He was a huge Fleetwood Mac fan. Now, I knew Fleetwood Mac. Like, I knew some of their main songs already. I might have even known this one. But then I started, like, listening a lot. Because he'd be like, oh, we need, we should play this song or that song. So I started listening to them a lot. Because for me, which I hate to admit this, is that I loved Fleetwood Mac and listened to a lot of their albums. For whatever reason, I didn't have this album growing up. Uh-huh. And I had never really listened to this song ah, okay. when, until I heard uh, Billy Corgan uh, cover oh, it. Oh, okay. And it's a great cover. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah. Uh, th- so what do you love about this song? Well, I think... the So I love the guitar, of course, but the, as far as her... She sings it in this very plain way. You know, it's not a very ornamented way to sing it. Uh, she She's kind of... It's an understated way to sing it. And she... But but and also the, the lyric, lyrics of the song are so longing. Um, so they paint such an, an interesting picture. Uh, it's very melancholy. 
and beautiful, and you can really hear the vulnerability in her voice. There's this moment at the very beginning when she's singing where she kind of goes, took it down, and like, and like the way she says down, it sounds like down, you know? <laughs> it's not even very well, well sung, if you will, but it, it's perfect. And yeah. so that, that's always struck me, and, and it's just every time I hear I could hear this song on loop infinitely. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful song. And, of course, Lindsey Buckingham playing guitar. And to think about the two of them having been in a romantic relationship at the time yeah. is interesting as well. By but, the way, uh, there were uh, – I give a shout-out. There were some songs that are in musicals that I, I would have included, but I, I decided not to include musical numbers. Uh, but there are some amazing musical like songs. Like Phantom of the Opera or something. Like Phantom of the Opera or the La, in Les Miserables. Um, uh, I had a dream, you know, stuff like that. There's a song in, in uh, I was going to say Hannibal, but I, uh, Hamilton that I really love. But anyways. Yeah, I could see it's because the singer could be interchangeable, right? right? I mean, you could, you find a Broadway singer a right. lot, although they're great, right. they're trained to sing in a particular way, yeah. whereas this song could only be sung by Stevie Nicks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, this is a, the song I'm going to choose here. So, by your face, Whoa. you don't know this song? I don't know this song. It sounds great. <laughs> That's crazy you haven't heard this song, but it's by Robin. So, I should say that the Cardigans are Swedish, I'm 90% sure, and Robin is definitely Swedish. I'm part Swedish, uh, so I don't know if... So, the Swedish have some of the best music. Yeah. ABBA is on my list. And, right. Uh, they, Rocks, I don't know why they're so good at writing like pop music. But <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, when this song came out, if, I don't know, five, ten years ago... I, one, love this song because it's 80s, yeah. but updated, but it sounds better than 80s yeah, yeah. in a way, you know? And Robin has this very crystal clear, but also distinctive voice. It's got a little killer sound to it. Interesting. It reminds me of Mr. Brightside a bit. And the instrumentation is great, and the video is great, too, because um, if I th- is, or maybe it's Dancing on My Own. Maybe you know Dancing on My Own because that's one of her I mean, hits. I haven't even heard the name Robin. Oh, that's <laughs> okay. Well, uh, so another great – so in relation to our conversation about dumping, this is Robin. I just love the lyrics and it gets me. It mm-hmm. just makes me so sad. So Robin is like, so you and I are together and I love you, but you need to call your girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Like – don't we need to slow down with this right now right. you need to call your girlfriend right now and tell her how you always loved her and how uh 
you know, so the lyrics are. Yeah, I was catching a bit of it. I was like, oh, this is related. <laughs> right. So let me let me uh, do the lyrics. So it's call your girlfriend. It's time you had the talk. Give your reasons. Say it's not her fault. Yeah. Okay. But you but you just met somebody new. Tell her not to get upset. Second guessing everything you said and done. Right. So Robin is totally talking my language here. And then when she gets upset, tell her how you never meant to hurt no one. And tell her that the only way her heart will mend is when she learns to love again. And it won't make sense right now, but you're still her friend. And and then you let her down easy. Like, right. let her down easy. So yeah. this, you know, Robin's telling this guy who, you know, they're, they're in love. She's like, you got to be nice to her. That's the moral thing to do. Yeah. Now, how many people do that? Right. Most people are just like, dump the bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Move on. You're with me now. Cut it, cut it clean. You know? And I, I just, so that's, an, but the song's just great, too. Like... I have tried to sing this song on acoustic guitar, uh-huh. and it, it's like deceptively difficult. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, okay, let's play another another one of your songs here. Um, all right. Yeah, this song brings oh. this song brings you back to college, nineteen ninety three, I yeah. think, and just a mammoth song at the time. So good. So things I love about it. First of all, when this came out, I had never heard anything like it. It was just so different. Maybe if I was into more avant garde music in Europe or so, I had never heard anything like this. She's singing the song in a different key than the music, basically. Like, her, she's not in the same key as the underlying music. But it works so well. It creates this creepy sound. And then the lyrics and the video are, are so great because she's talking about human behavior. And she's looking at it from the perspective of let's an a, animal. Let's listen to her screamy voice. Yeah, it's so good. Ugh. And it was at a time when I actually had a sampler, and I would actually – I was writing music in this vein. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if that's a sample, but um, – and actually uh, – so I listened to the Sugar Cubes when I was in the 80s. Did you listen to the Sugar Cubes? Mm, I don't know. So the so the, the Bjork was in a band originally called okay. the Sugar oh, Cubes. Oh, I don't know. I don't think I did that. And then she broke out of that band and became a solo act. Sugar Cubes are kind of weird, actually, but – um, but I I really liked them in the '80s, and so when Bjork broke out on her own, out on her own, I was just like I was like yeah more more because the Sugar Cubes are really experimental, and they had some tracks that were really great, mm. and they had other songs that were just like weird. Like I gotta I gotta play <laughs> I gotta play. By it. the way, because one of the things that this reminds me of is Tomorrow Never Knows. 
because uh, it's got that infectious, like repetitive loop going. This song is from the eighties. You know, if I had heard stuff like that, then it wouldn't have been so new to me when I heard Bjork by herself. But no, that song was great. Uh, another song. So this is. So that's one of their bigger songs. That oh, listen to that. <laughs> it's, it's great. <laughs> I mean, were the sugar cubes at all on the top 40? No. Right. Uh, See, I wouldn't have discovered anything that wasn't in the top 40 because I, I didn't have a mechanism for it. Yeah, I had a bunch of like alt music friends yeah. who would introduce me to things and then I would take their cassettes and dub them and listen mm. to. And I listened to this album like a billion times in high school. Uh, another, so, but to get to, so that, this was a great song. It's like yeah, it very singable and. Um, kind of influenced my writing too that that just like you know because I don't like writing lyrics and mm-hmm. so just to hear her go to the chorus and just be like ah, 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 you know she just <laughs> screams like yeah. like it probably was a place setter for writing lyrics later. Sure. <laughs> but then she's like nah I'll just scream but then they went to some more experimental stuff like this or no this one isn't so experimental uh, I mean, it's still a good song. But... Oh, so the experimental part comes in. There's another guy in the band who would talk a lot. Okay. Uh, there's. I'm trying to find the song. There's a song where he's like squeaky clean. So if you didn't cast that, he says, I said hi, he said hi. I'm still squeaky clean. <laughs> and then, and then it went. I mean, when I was in high school, me and my friends, uh, I am so clean. I'm still squeaky clean. I was surprised. I mean, it's so weird. <laughs> it's a clean old man. <laughs> so 
you know, you have this beautiful Bjork and this right. sort of Smiths-esque backing track. And then you got this weirdo, <laughs> Talk like, about being uh, clean. <laughs> B-52 guy, like, just randomly chiming in with his creepy language. Um, okay, so I'm going to play one more, because you played one. Uh, Squeaky clean. So, uh, funny, we both chose this song. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, out of all the songs. Mm-hmm. So infectious. Yeah, Olivia Newton-John is one of those artists who had a big career in the late 70s, early 80s uh-huh. that is now just kind of considered like cheesy, like Kenny G or something. Sure. And when you hear her, she's a true artist. Oh, yeah. She's not just singing these songs like without any soul. She's got some – she's Australian, right? Yep. She's got some Australian soul in her, o- ONJ. I mean, so this song for me has so many – awesome memories because it was at a time when I was in New York living in New York with my dad and they would play it every t- uh, when we went to ice skate they would play it at the ice skating rink all the time uh, because of the movie right um, what, what's the movie called Xanadu Xanadu and so I actually no sorry I didn't choose this song I chose I chose Xanadu oh you chose Xanadu okay okay yeah. got it. but but anyway so I loved this song for multiple reasons. Her voice is amazing. That groove. Dun, oh, no, no, sorry. Dun, this, I did choose a song. This dun, is from my list. Dun. That groove is so memorable, so groovy, so catchy. And then her voice comes on, and, and the song is called Magic. Her voice sounds like magic. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, there's so many th- reasons why I love this song. One, I really liked Olivia Newton-John when I was a kid. I bought the... Um, Let's Get Physical album when I was in the fifth grade. Um, or I liked that song anyway and the video. But Well, this- she, was, she was my first crush, by the way. Oh, really? In fact, there's this memory I have in fourth grade. From, from Greece or? Uh, I hadn't seen Greece, but I had seen her singing in, in, on the TV, and I just thought she was so beautiful and things like this. But I'm in the fourth grade, and our, our Spanish teacher, which I'm sure this – I don't know if this would be appropriate these days, but he says, all right, who do you guys think is cute? You know, he starts asking us kids, like, who do we have crushes on or whatever. And a lot of people said Sheena Easton and, and a few others and things like that, of the boys anyways. And I raise my hand and it's like, what about you? I'm like, Olivia Newton-John. And then my teacher goes, now there's a man with taste. <laughs> I love that. I remember that so well. <laughs> How do you say that in Spanish? Uh, so in Colombia, when you take Spanish, that's like when literature in, yeah, in like, the States, when you take English. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're learning grammar and spelling, all that stuff. Yeah. So I loved this song because I saw Xanadu in the theater when I was a kid mm-hmm. with, with friends and loved the movie and loved the soundtrack. And then I later learned how much I loved ELO. Right. And went back and would listen to every ELO song I could get my hands on on Napster. 
and this the whole uh, or most of the songs on the Xanadu album are, are from ELO. Yeah. Um, including this song, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love this song and love Xanadu. And now, Xanadu the movie, if watching it today, uh, it's not so great. There's some scenes that are just truly awful. And there's some songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that one, like, uh, 20s kind of song. Yeah. <laughs> it's just awful. But, um, well, because I, so I had never seen the movie as a kid. I only knew this from the the ice skating ring. And so my memories are me and my dad skating and me listening to this and going, oh, wow. And then seeing her perform on TV. But when I finally watched the movie, it was like I was in my 30s. And I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it probably seemed like, you know, El Dorado to you or something. Right. Like, man, when I finally get to see I this finally movie, get to see it. it's just going to be amazing. I mean, it, it's got some fun parts yeah, to it. It is a fun movie. Like the, the general. And the other thing, so I guess... I forgot this connection was when I was young, I was super into Greek and Roman mythology. Oh. Like big time. Like I would, you know, check out books in the library and just read about the genealogy of the different gods and everybody. And I, and Xanadu is, is about Greek goddesses, the the muses, right? I think they're the muses, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah, the muses. And I think even like Zeus and Hera and Athena get involved at some point in the movie. <laughs> but anyway. So uh, you must have loved uh, Clash of the Titans. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Right? In fact, Clash of the Titans might have actually been the precipitous to that. Oh, man. Because watching that movie. I love that movie. I love that movie so much <laughs> that when I was in Spokane, we would always go to Spokane to visit my grandparents every mm-hmm. summer. And my grandparents didn't have cable or they didn't have. Um, uh, HBO or something, but back then when you could watch the channel and it was just scrambled, you could mm. you could hear everything normally. Do you remember this? Yeah, totally. Yeah, you could watch a scrambled cable channel. That's how you would try to watch porn. Remember, uh-huh. <laughs> you get to channel ninety nine or whatever. It's like, oh, oh, you know. Was I mean? there a horse in there? Yeah, <laughs> no, that was the static. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, sound like a little horse but um so right so you would you could hear it but you but you could only see it kind of yeah and i watched the entire <laughs> clash of the titans movie like that you, oh, because God. i'd seen it you know 10 times right. or something there was also a movie called jason the argonauts right that i loved claymation right and that's that whole <sighs> epic story of heroes right. and adventure was something that you really had to seek out back then. Yeah. Today, there's a billion offerings on Netflix alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, current TV shows, even. Yeah. That, you know, it, they just weren't really serving that crowd the way they are today. Right. I mean, I was thinking about this month. So this, this episode will come out in the midst of all this. But, you know, Game of Thrones, the premiere starts mm-hmm. this Sunday. And then Avengers, the Avengers is, right. is, even, is later this month. We just had an Avengers movie last right. last month, and that's just with you know. So two of the biggest, and then you know, Episode Nine, Star Wars, is December. Coming up. So just in this one year, we <laughs> just three examples, right? But yeah. there's multiple other things happening, you yeah. know, like other kinds of shows that are happening and movies and whatnot, and. It's just so many things to look forward to. Right, right, when right. when I was a kid, we, you had a Star Wars movie every three years. Yep. 
and that was it. And like yeah. reruns of Jason the Argonauts, which was made like in the <laughs> '60s or something, and then reruns from Star Trek in the '60s. I do say one thing that we're missing out, or not we, but I, I guess the younger generations, I think, is uh, we had this social glue because all of us experienced the same damn thing at the same time. For years, it was the same thing. <laughs> well, that's why I like it when something like Game of Thrones and the Avengers rises high enough yeah. that even people who aren't super into that sort of thing might actually be paying attention. Sure. But listen, let's listen to your fifth Favorite song by a woman here. Oh, yeah. You get a fast car. I want a ticket to anywhere. Maybe we make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere Any place is better Starting from zero, got nothing to lose Maybe we'll make something Me, myself, I got nothing to prove Yeah, oh. I love this song too I remember really liking it at the time It was such a unique song yep. at the time This was when Motley Crue was big And Def Leppard was big And... Uh, you know, Guns N' Roses was getting off the ground, and uh, Madonna was big. Yeah, uh, Tiffany was big. Well, Debbie, Debbie Gibson was big, and then you have this this very quiet, sad, folky, low key song w- sung by someone who is not easily marketable. Right? She, she would she, never be on MTV. She can't dance. <laughs> she, you know, she doesn't dress in a bikini well. You know, like, and she's a very dark black woman. Yeah, and <laughs> and, and uh, I think also queer, if I'm not mistaken. But she looked. She didn't look uh, super feminine. In, you know, right. in that sense. And it was so avant garde. It was so out of the norm right. at the time. And I, I remember, like, me and all the drama kids just love I, – I had my drama friends and I had my football uh, sporto okay. friends. <laughs> and the drama friends loved this song. Why do you love the song, Berto? Yeah, exactly. So when it came on MTV, ironically, you know, it's like it, – it's just something you didn't expect. But when it came on MTV, I was sitting there and I couldn't figure it out because, honestly, coming from the heterogeneous background, societal background I came from in Colombia – uh, I wasn't exposed to a lot of uh, artists that looked like this, you know? First of all, most of the people on TV were white. Most of them, you know, very pretty, normal, quote, pretty, right? And then you have this, like, very dark black lady who looks unlike people that I usually see. And she is singing these with this voice, this haunting, beautiful voice. And lyrics that are so like, we're going to leave together and we're going to try to do this. And, and it, it, it was just like, oh, my God. Like, what is this? I want more of this. Which is sad because, like, I never did get more of that. But Yeah, the song, actually, the lyrics, I couldn't decipher them when I was young. Yeah. It didn't really make any sense to me. It's like, well, why would you get in a fast car? Right. Like, what? But older, it's like, I think you, in your 20s, you can right. start to relate to that. So for sure, and um, and then and then that part with, I, I oh my god, it always gives me shivers. Yeah, it's so good. 
I actually recorded a because I, I had a four track at the time, and I was starting to get into some psychedelic recording styles. And what I did for one song is I just randomly tuned in to the radio uh, at like super slow speed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I sped up the tape so that it would play back at a slow speed. And two songs came on that I worked into the background of one of my songs. And one of them was Fast Car, and the other one was Don't Worry, Be Happy. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, so let's listen to my fifth song that is performed by a woman here. So this song wow. came out when I was in college and just loved this song. Had this CD, I remember, and played it a lot. The whole CD is actually really, really great. Hope Sandoval, a wonderful singer, and really embodied the early 90s when she sang. She never danced. She just looked mm-hmm. down at the ground and yeah. occasionally played her tambourine <laughs> and her hair would be in front of her face and right. she just had a you know, a kind of secondhand store looking dress on. <laughs> and then the other the guy that played guitar, I love the music because it sounds great, but it's actually super simple. Mm. Like I'm I'm an okay guitarist and I can but in most guitar parts, you know, in popular music, at least the more complicated ones, there's, just, there's no way I could touch it. Mm-hmm. But there isn't a part that I can't play played by the Mazzy Star guitarist. And mm-hmm. it's a guitar band, you know what I yeah. mean? It, you hear that acoustic guitar and then the solos that, you know, that happen and stuff. And I just love that very simple songwriting. Also, it's a very sad song. Very sad. And, uh, you know, I guess I've always just really loved sad music. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I like the groove of it. It's like it moves you along with your sadness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just reminds me of so many different things in college. Um, so anyway. Uh, so, yeah, uh, patron Beth from Olympia. Hope you're satisfied with that. Um, we'll listen to some other tracks, actually, uh, because this episode is not going to go on YouTube because if I post it on YouTube, it'll get copyright stri- stricken from the record, even though this is actually fair use because yeah. we're only playing snippets and we're reviewing it. Yeah. But the bots at Google don't care about mm. the little guy anymore, and so we get eliminated just like right. without any review. It's just like, Boop. 
You're gone. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, so, and I don't care because I don't, if anything, I'd rather not even be on YouTube anymore. It's just, and I can say that out loud because none of you are hearing this on YouTube. The YouTube <laughs> people are awful human beings. Like nine out of 10 of them are just some of the, at least the commenters anyway, yeah. are these horrifically narrow, not only just like, there was a guy who I actually, he left a, a comment. I can't remember. It was one of those issues that gets brought up a lot. And so I said, okay, well, actually this guy commented in a way that's somewhat rational. Like mm-hmm. it, he seems to be like a rational speaker. Right. And he was bringing up some point. And, and I thought, okay, yeah, I could see that. I, like, I, don't, I can engage with this. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with it, but right. but it's, you know, I could see how someone would come to that. And so I said something like that, but I didn't have a lot of time to like go into a full like screed. I, yeah. I just, I said something like, yeah, I see your point. And I could see how, uh, you know, there's some valid points you make or something like that. Yeah. And I, I felt really good about that. I felt really yeah. proud of myself because it's like, okay, finally, uh, you know, I can take criticism and, and uh, when it's worded in a way that isn't like aggressive right. and isn't like, read a book, you cuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so I was like, okay, you know, this is good. Let's, and at the time I, I was like, shit, cause I had this policy of not responding because it never goes well. Yeah. But I'm like, this one, it's going to go well. It looks like it's going to go well. So I say, I, you, you may bring up some good points. Thank, <laughs> thanks for sharing. And then he replies right away. Did you even read my fucking comment? Like, you clearly didn't read it because I was making this point. Like, because I didn't argue with him back and didn't attack him or defend myself, because I just went, yeah, you bring up some good points. I I think, you you know, you make some valid points there. Because I didn't feel hurt by him, you know, because I didn't exhibit some bigger oppositional response, it incensed him. Oh, wow. (laughs) Escalation time. This happens... Most of the time when yeah. I engage like this of the times when I actually say, okay, fine, I'll engage mm-hmm. 99 out of a hundred times it, it goes terribly. And I would say a third of those terrible times it's because of this. Cause I'm like, this person actually spent some time and, you know, you know, actually made yeah. some points. And if they were sitting next to me and they said that I wouldn't tell them to go away. I'd be like, right. okay, you know, yeah. it's, it would be like, something you would say it just sure. just like i have a differing point of view here's my opinion and so i just wanted to validate it like thank you for actually saying something that's not aggressive you know i say yeah it makes no good, good deed it's just on youtube you know it's just like I, oh. like i wish that it wasn't culturally seen as like distasteful for me to just turn off all comments on youtube yeah. honestly I'm sure the listeners would love it if I'd shut up about it. All right, let's listen. Let's read a, another email here. This episode is just going to be like one of those um, train wreck episodes. Ramble on. So this is FPL, famous patron Lyndon, uh, who, by the way, maybe we should talk about this. He wants to come to Seattle for our next show. Woo! But we, I'm so weary of live shows. <laughs> After organizing two of them last year yeah uh i'm ready for a change and so what i'm thinking for our 11 year anniversary this august we would do something different like a marathon live stream right that we actually don't record at all 
It's just like you got to be there to experience it. Right. You know what I mean? You have to tune in. You to, have to tune in. To you ex- can record it if you want, but we're not going to record it. Yeah. So um, I was thinking if we could coincide that or maybe tell Lyndon when when we're going to do it, maybe he could pop on for an hour or something. Because what I was my in maybe we should just talk about this Bruno since we're deep into this <laughs> ramble on episode. Uh, we've talked about it briefly, but how does it sound to do like sixteen hours? Like yeah, yeah. The minute, I'm totally down. Minute you wake up, we get together. We start live. Maybe I wake up. I start live streaming. You come over. And no, then, screw that, man! I'm gonna be here at the crack of ass. <laughs> okay, so then we start at the crack of ass. So little little coffee to perk up, <laughs> and then we live stream, and we have a lot of things scheduled. So maybe some tougher bluff with commenters. Yeah, ironically, this will probably be on YouTube, by the way. Sure. <laughs> um, and then we uh, might go on a road trip somewhere. We'll have some guests. Yeah. on the, sh- on the show. Maybe we'll go to our f- our favorite Seattle restaurants. I wonder if we could go back to one of the uh, key places from the early episodes. Oh. You know? Well, like my old house that we used to record at? Sure. <laughs> or one of the places we visited for the on-location stuff, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the statue. Remember the little statue? Oh, though that that's kind of a sketchy area now. The totem. Downtown, the totem, yeah. Yeah. Well, that'll be part of the show. Be you know? part of the show. If we get stabbed, then... Yeah, it'll, oh, that'll make it really in- enjoyable for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... I, I'll, I'll be naked in this one. Okay. Wait, yeah. is there video? Yeah. Oh, damn it. I thought it was uh, audio only. Well, people don't know this, but you're always naked when we record. Well, yeah, but that's... I'm comfortable when it's audio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, perhaps we can get my wife Stacy involved as well. Um, and that can be fun. We got to think of something more to do, though. Like, yeah, well, we, maybe, we maybe start we could, a little list. Maybe we go to my university. Maybe we could go. I don't know. Maybe we could like hire like a like a performer or something, like a juggler or something, <laughs> or a or a stand up comic or something. I've got it. We get. Or we could go to Pike Place and go to the Buskers. Maybe. Oh, we I could do know. that too. But listen, we got to hire someone to give us juggling lessons. And get someone who's maybe like a, a cheerleader or something to try to do the juggling lessons with us too. <laughs> do you remember that? No, we had that oh, episode. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could uh, prank call Lita. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, you're live. You know. Yeah. Um, we'll definitely do some music. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Little, some some renditions of something. Yeah. Yeah, so- I love it. So, famous patron Lennon said, I was listening to an interview with Nirvana's manager, Danny Goldberg, who was stressing that when it, that when it came to music, Kurt Cobain was extremely hardworking and disciplined, rehearsing, oh. rehearsing and practicing like six to eight hours a day. A few years back, I saw an interview with Pearl Jam where they also laughed about what I might call the slacker image, saying that they worked their butts off for years prior to making it. Apparently, Kurt was also a control freak, and I've heard this about many successful musicians and directors. Is the slacker image a form of covert marketing? Berto, what do you think? Well, I mean, I think we got to distinguish what we mean here because uh, there is they were absolute, absolutely slacking on everything else but music. <laughs> you know, like th- that is a fact. Like you could say the same thing with a lot of these hair bands in the 80s and stuff. 
these people weren't in the middle of getting their PhDs at the same time as playing eight hours a day and staying up all night and partying and all these kinds of things. So were they wearing cheap ass clothes because they didn't really have money to go buy fancy clothes? Yes. Did that make them look kind of slackery? Yes. Uh, did they actually barely hold other jobs so they could just make enough money to keep going with their music dream? Yes. But that's a very interesting wording that you're using because, say, a, another person who yeah. is going to college all the time who actually wants to be a musician, but they don't have time for that because they're studying all the time. Right. But, and they're dressing in a college student way. Yeah. Well, according to your language they're not sl- they don't look like a slacker well not my language just society's language yeah right so we have to say society's yeah. language but you were actually saying it was it i mean was- I, I meant it in the, in the like the reason we call them slackers or we as in all of us is because they looked like what we would expect a slacker to look like right but were they slacking on their music clearly not <laughs> and, and they weren't they weren't slacking at all no uh by definition a slacker is someone who doesn't do anything productive right and if you're practicing six to eight hours a day yeah. and doing other things for your dream of being in a band, right. then you're really not slacking. So, yeah, it's absolutely marketing. Being in a band is so much work. I've been in, in bands since I was 16, and I'm almost always the leader of the band. Mm-hmm. I was once in a band where I wasn't the leader well, when I was in a band with you, you and I were leaders. Yeah, but you were certainly more of the, uh, t- not taskmaster, but like you helped us move forward. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Because when, like, for example, when it was you, Shun, and I, we were more co, and I think Shun is also a task ma- taskmaster, and, and he, if, if anything, he is a very strong work ethic. You know, we're going to move forward. Uh, for me, I'm always like, I love the playing. I love the writing the songs and stuff like that. But left to my own devices, I'm not sure I'm going to get an album recorded. Right. You know? Okay. Right. <laughs> so I'm the slacker image. <laughs> so apparently I was the leader in that one too. <laughs> I, I was in a band where I was, uh, I joined a, a bunch of other guys who were very much type A, so to yeah. speak, in the colloquial sense. And I was like, and they needed a bassist. And I was like, look, I can play bass, not that well, but Mm -hmm. you know, you can depend on me, but I can't do anything beyond that. Cause I was actually in graduate school at the time in in my twenties. But anyway, and I loved it because I was like, you didn't have to do everything. (laughs) I could, I could be that guy who shows up 10 minutes late and like, (laughs) didn't really practice that much. And doesn't really know what's going on. I think what like what worked well when you and I were in in the band is that uh, you know there are things that I do well and there are things you do well and so I think the other three they needed to learn their parts right, right. but like we could count I could count on you that your songs are going to be all the way written and I don't have to hound you like well you haven't finished your song and you could count on me that I was going to fucking write my songs right and then uh you're just going to write them every practice every practice yes this is true I was going to rewrite them every practice <laughs> but then I also like when we said we we're going to do videos like I didn't know you were going to be a videographer right and all of a sudden you make these like really cool videos and all these things well and, and the the thing that you did that I would never have the patience for was all the gear set the gear and the computer and the yeah I know and so I think it was a good balance but I, I just it I would give you some props because you gave us momentum you gave us like uh, help me with structure interesting that was really good yeah being in a band is a lot of work and a lot of work. Uh, and the idea that uh, Nirvana, Kurt Cobain, and Pearl Jam 
were slackers and they just sort of like fell out of a bus filled with pot smoke and got signed is fucking ridiculous when you understand behind the scenes. For every band that is that actually makes it, there are thousands of other bands that are working super hard. Yep. And for every thousands of bands who are working super hard, there's millions of dudes and women who are just sitting in their basement mm-hmm. wishing they could get enough motivation <laughs> to actually right. take the steps to be in a band. They're the true slackers of the world. <laughs> well, so because it's there's a lot of barriers. Yeah. You know, like w- one of the things one of the nice things about being a leader is that I get to have the bands I want. I right. never have to join someone else's band. Right. Like the band I'm in right now, I personally cobbled together from people that I knew. Yeah. I just said, okay, I know that guy. I asked him to be in a band. He doesn't have time. Then I just start going down the list, right. you know? <laughs> and then and then eventually I find people that are like, yeah, totally, you know, okay, let's, let's go. And then they join my band, right. you know? Now, were they, did they want to play music? Yes. But- they didn't take the initiative because yeah. it's so much work and it is. and a lot of ego is involved too. Yeah. You you have to uh, you have to sell yourself, you know, you have to like convince people to be a part of your thing. Yeah. So like I've only been in three well sorry, I I've been in four main bands and tons of other side bands, you know, like tons of other situations that were bands, but four that did something, right? Yeah. Uh one of them, I feel, is – there's only one of them where I felt like, okay, I actually managed to to put an album together. And I'm not talking about the one with you and me, but it's like my last one that I did. Where it's like, okay, I managed to put an album together and all that stuff. But even in that one, I didn't do it alone. Like I had help from the other two members, right? Yeah, Paul was a pretty big – yeah, and then, and then Eric, he, he did a lot and he helped pay for quite a bit of the stuff and things, all these things. So uh, I can't imagine – just you know, be like slacking and then pulling together a world class band. Right, that doesn't exist. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And when you actually watch documentaries about Kurt Cobain and other people, the Beatles, for example, yeah, you see that they put in the time. Yeah, the, that's that's the, the exactly Beatles, right. The Beatles played in Hamburg for eight hours a day. Yeah, for you know many months. In addition to other kinds of things they did. Imagine playing for, you know, six, eight hours when you don't really feel like it and you're not get, getting paid that much right. and you're in another country mm-hmm. and you don't know if this is going to be anything. You're, you're just like, well, this is whole, because that's the whole thing. Whenever you're in a band, you know, before you get any kind of fame, which is almost always, you always are like, what, why am I doing this? <laughs> like people don't really care about this. You know, there was a whole section of time before Nevermind came out when Nirvana, no one really cared. Right. You know, a couple friends might be like, oh, yeah, that's fun. But like you watch early, uh, uh, there's this video you can watch of Rage Against the Machine playing to like this college campus. Mm-hmm. And there's like one person in the audience. <laughs> and they're already really good. Uh-huh. Like they must have practiced not only their own instruments, but like as a, as a band, like yeah. a lot. And that's normal. Yeah. The fact that Rage Against the Machine actually made it, it to the public, it, it always seems like, well, of course they would have made it. Right. But I learned upon, you know, my band, we had, we played a lot. Like, I played more clubs than you did growing up. And I played in the early 90s when a lot of bands were, like, right. really on the cusp because it was there was a time in Seattle when 
Seattle bands were being signed at like a minute by minute basis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Nirvana would wear a Tad shirt on Saturday Night Live, and Tad signed, and then there'd just be this huge rush, and like, and Tad would get this multi million dollar. I don't know if Tad yeah. was one of those bands, but you know, Meat Puppets, this kind of thing. Yeah, and so. There was a time when I, I was at Ground Zero. Was like, hey, we could all. Harvey Danger was actually one of those bands, and right. I we actually, you know, uh, sort of felt sorry for them because no one was going to their shows. <laughs> and then fast forward a couple of years, and they, they have like one of the biggest hits in the world. And so uh, there were so many hardworking musicians in Seattle, and we would play in clubs, right? Uh, you know, Rock Candy, Crocodile, with these other bands, and I was like this band is amazing. Mm-hmm. I just be like, we're good, but these guys are amazing. And I was convinced that like that band, that band's making it. They're going to make it. <laughs> There's no doubt. They have, they're like a fun red hot chili peppers or right. they're like a better Led Zeppelin. <laughs> and I just be like, it's, they're going to make it. And nope, never nope. made it. Yeah. And I, and I was like, Oh, I get it for every band that makes it. There's thousands of other bands that are just as good, if not better, right? But just didn't have the right any kinda... number of a billion variables yeah. didn't work. Anyway, so yeah, being getting a band together is a lot of work. You have to schedule, just scheduling, right? So right now, uh, the band I'm in is sort of casual. So we we practice at kind of odd intervals. You know, usually when you're in a serious band, it's like every Tuesday night or something. Yeah. But the band I'm in right now. And so I have to send a doodle out mm. and I have to like, you know, and if, if there's no dates that line, I got to call everyone, <laughs> you know, it's a pain. That, that's just scheduling, getting space, getting now for me. Now I have a job, I have money, I can afford things, you know, rewind the clock back to when I was 19. Right. We couldn't afford anything. I could barely afford the guitar I had. Yeah. yeah. Equipment was a problem. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, recording space, forget about it. Uh, equipment like a PA, for example. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you have to learn how to play. That's something you have to do a lot. You know, singers in, also. You really have to practice singing a lot. You have to deal with each other. Mm-hmm. You have to deal with each other's bullshit. You have to get gigs. Oh my god, getting gigs, getting gigs in shows is extremely annoying. Yeah, it's one of the most annoying things about being <laughs> in a band. You have to. You know, you go to these. It's not like just signing up. You go to these yeah. websites. You, I don't know how they make decisions. Do you know what I mean? Right. And so, it's really tough. And then usually you just get these really shitty nights. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, um, next week we're playing this gig. The they asked the the planners reach. We're at the point now where I guess people are starting to reach out to us, which was a good thing. But then. When I think about this gig, it's in Tacoma, one, okay. which is kind of a bother. Where, but, what place? Uh, O'Malley's. O'Malley's, okay. It's a, a, I think it's a very small Irish bar. <laughs> and it's a 420 festival on, four, oh, okay. on, on 420. On 420. <laughs> and so, anyway, uh, anyway, so it's Light just like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, when when people quit, you got to replace them, or you got to just like disband the band, which sucks because yep. people quit sometimes. Um, you know, Carlos moved back to Mexico, for example. Right. You got to write songs, you, and you got to write songs that are not only songs that you can write that you like, but the rest of the band has to like it. Yeah, and they have to be able to play them. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> that sounds easy. It's not. 
Yeah. Because like you'll have some idea in your head and then the person that is in your band may not be able to play that thing. Right. Or they don't want to. <laughs> or they don't want to. Because it's not in the style they like. Right. It's not like they're just like, no. Like, like I literally had a problem like that in one of the cases where I had when I wrote the song, I had a a, a very metronomic drum beat that I did in in the Cubase, you know, in the computer. But it worked with the song because it was like this very regular thing. And, you know, I, I really couldn't get the drummer to just do that. Paul? <laughs> I won't say who it is, but <laughs> I, I think the song in the end, as we recorded it, was still good. But I still missed that very metronomic. Metronomic, yeah. <laughs> And then recording costs a lot of money and is very hard. Marketing is almost impossible. I yeah. mean, who wants... You know, what are you going to do? Walk up to someone and go like, listen to my CD. Right. Or... CD? What's that? <laughs> or, you know, tune into my Spotify. Like, no one right. no one wants that. Like, market, like marketing for my podcast... Like, it's interesting because when we started the podcast, it was similar to starting a band. Yeah. I was getting my friends together. We were doing this creation. We were putting it out there. Right. And hoping that someone would listen. And what I've learned is that marketing a podcast is infinitely more easy than marketing a band. Right. Because... There's not as many, right? and it's universal that people don't mind people talking. Yeah. We don't have to, like, get every word right during a podcast. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, when you're on stage and you love the notes. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> and then shows, like, loading in, like... I always, you know, that, that, this is why I actually don't like playing that many shows, because... Yeah. You get 45 minutes on stage usually. Yep. But that that means you have to arrive at the venue like three hours early, mm-hmm. which is always annoying, which means you have to load in like four hours early, yep. which means you have to load up like six hours. Yeah, because you got to load the cars, the vans, whatever you got, you know, with all your heavy ass amps and the drum set and everything. Right. right. So, so you're looking at like an entire afternoon before right not not counting you know practicing and stuff load up you know get to the venue sit and wait watch other bands hopefully the other bands are okay right and then you get to play and then and then you have to wait for everything to close down and then you have to load out right you go back to wherever your practice (laughs) space is or wherever unload everything you know like it's a it's this huge annoying. Now, if you're Tom Petty or something, you have a crew. And right. you, you just show up. But but I've actually even heard like when you talk to the big names like John Mayer. I was listening to an interview with him, and he was talking about how being on the road is it's rough. You know, yeah. it's just like you. He was talking about how when the worst thing about being on the road is days off, mm. because you're in a totally unknown town in a hotel yeah. looking out over an industrial you know part of the town and you don't have anything to do right <laughs> what do you, you just sit there in your hotel room like watching tv like you're just wasting your time right and that really drove home how unglamorous it is right, right. and so so even at that level it's still not very glamorous that's and they're not they don't even have to carry their own gear right. you know um and then trying to get people to show up to your shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, forget about that. I mean, that's just like, because one, like your friends are supportive, but they're not that supportive. Yeah. So for example, 
I made th- this mistake, you know, in 04 and 05. I had a band and our thought was like, okay, well, the way to get big is we got to play a lot. Now, that part was correct. So we thought, well, shit, let's, let's do like as many shows every week as we can. Now, we start getting into a little bit of trouble here because we basically, we had like three, four gigs a week at some point. Can you imagine? Three or four gigs a week. And I'm not talking about like recurring nights at like the place where they're giving you thick, you know, thick stacks of bucks at the end of the night. We're talking about like drive down to Tacoma one night, play a show, get your 50 bucks divided three ways, drive all the way back to Everett the next night, do it, you know, this kind of thing, right? And at first, because it was so new, I loved it. I had bought a van. We, we, we was just like into it, right? But a, a yeah, few you, months. You bought a van and had a giant, what, like $2,000 decal put on the van that made it look yes. like, that made it look like, uh, Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo's Mr. Machine kind of <laughs> four-year band. Yeah, and so I was really into it, man. I was loving it. And then a few months of that, you start real, realizing, whoa, this is this is a lot of commitment here. And was anyone coming to the shows? Well, not they wouldn't follow us to the shows. We would come there locally and whoever showed up to the bar that night. <laughs> and then we would do some up here where in Seattle where hopefully some of our friends would come. But when you just done a show on Friday and you're asking people to come on a Wednesday, who the hell is going to come to your show? Even if they like your music and they're your friend, like, dude, I just heard you. Like, right. <laughs> come on. Right. So if you want to not annoy your very small fan base, you spread your shows out. So you right. only play like four times a year. Or you go on a road trip because that way you're... You're spreading geographically, you know? But, but that doesn't work unless people actually care about you. Yeah, well, you need to have something you're selling. T-shirts, a CD, you may be on the radio, things like that. If you're not at that point yet, you're mostly doing it just for the practice, for the experience. Which gets yeah. very tiresome. Yes, exactly. You know? um, so along those lines, I thought I would play this song here. Oh. So in case you didn't know, that's Umberto and me performing. It's Umberto wrote that song and the band that we were in. Umberto's playing the bass, Carlos on the drums. Uh, Foxy is on the, on the key- keyboards on the and keyboards. Vixen is Vixen on the, the keyboards. keyboards. And, and I'm playing bass playing and bass. singing and you're playing guitar and singing. 
<laughs> yeah. I loved our harmonies, man. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, so if you want to get into the harmonies, uh, a better song for harmonies is this one here. I got to skip for it, though. I remember you didn't let me land on the third in that. <laughs> well, I wanted. Was I wanted. I was originally playing when that verse kicks in. Dun, it's been quite. A, I, I used to oh, yeah. land on the third. Dun, it's been. You're like, no, no, man, you can't do that. Not on the first verse. So I saved it for the next verse. <laughs> yeah, it's too dissonant. It sounds like a mistake. I mean, I like your. Uh, harmonic bass lines sure but i remember i was like people are gonna think that's a mistake it sounds so out of place you know i was like all right fine <laughs> i get in fights with producers when i've recorded albums quite not fights but like and your drummers uh and drummers because i'm like but you know i've had a couple times where it's like dude you can't play that note there i'm like that's the note that makes that part. Come on. <laughs> but it's fine. It's a matter of taste, too. Like, I actually like those dissonant moments in songs, but, you know, not everyone's into that. <laughs> I got to I gotta listen to my guitar solo here. This song did something that I like in songs where it, it starts all kind of quiet and calm and it ends kind of big. Um, in fact, one of the songs I picked from the the females list does that, which is the um, uh, wait. What was the the song the the songs we picked? We had uh, uh, well, I didn't play all the ones that you, Gloria maybe. No, no, no. There's another chandelier. One. I don't remember. Uh, oh, uninvited probably. No, that one does it too. There's a different one I was thinking. Of. But anyways, the point is, I like songs where it starts like kind of on the on the low key and it ends like very big. It's uh, 
really cool. Yeah, well, let's record another episode and let's uh, continue the conversation about songs and responding to listener emails. What do you say? Let's do it. Uh, please take care of yourself out there because you deserve it. You really, really do. Wait. <laughs> take care of yourself because... <laughs> you deserve it. You really, really do. 